Blog Talk Radio. Yes, it's that time again. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Ross Green here. Welcome to the program. Glad that you were able to join in. As you know, we do this once a week, pretty much every week, except during the summer. And this is a great chance for you to call in, speak your mind, get the support you need, get the help you need, and Parenting a behaviorally challenging child. Um, Yes, I know I said that this was the parents' panel program on last week's program, but I was off by a week. Parents' panel is next week. This week, we're doing email, unless somebody has called in, because the emails are starting to pile up again. Unless someone has called in, unless someone calls in, callers always take priority on this program. Um, I'm going to be answering questions that I've received by email uh, over the last two or three weeks, and um, some folks are sort of eagerly awaiting answers to questions that they have submitted. So we're going to uh, jump in and do that um, as quickly as we can. In fact, how about now? Here's one. Uh, Dr. Green, I'm the mother of a seven-year-old boy who has developed some behavioral issues in the past year that are affecting his schoolwork and relationships. All of this began after we lost our home in a fire and our dog died in the fire. Very sorry to hear that. I have read The Explosive Child and listened to the radio programs to get some guidance on what steps I should take. We have had an SST and 504 plan done. I am scheduled to have an IEP. The school is wanting to label my son as emotionally disturbed. And I was told that this would be a good thing because he can go to school with kids like him. That's in quotes, kids like him. I am so lost and do not know what to do. My son is on two different ADHD medications, and the outbursts have calmed. However, I understand medication is just a dam holding back the water. He still has occasional episodes and is treated like a freak of nature by his teacher, so the other children follow suit. He cries and tells me how much he hates that school and just wants to change, but pulling him would only stop the process of the IEP, I've been told. Any recommendations at all would be greatly welcomed. I hear emotionally disturbed and see him in a school for the damned. It breaks my heart. Well, boy, that's um, a tough situation to be sure, but there's a few things in your email that I do want to respond to here. Sometimes the emotionally disturbed label is your ticket to the services that your son needs. That's the uh, ticket. And if your son needs services, you may need a ticket. So even though I don't like the terminology, emotionally disturbed, if it's your ticket to the help your son needs, probably a um, 
probably something worth doing. That's actually the least important part. The part I'm having a little trouble understanding here is this. The, the question that I have is whether the school wants to put your son on the basis of applying that label, whether they want to put him in a program outside of general ed with kids just like him, as you're saying in your email. Are they talking about a completely different school program? Because calling a child emotionally disturbed just gives him the ticket he needs to get the services he needs, but often doesn't say anything about what those services are. And that's the part I don't quite understand, whether the school is proposing that he go to a completely different program or whether the emotionally disturbed label is simply to get him help that he needs in his existing program. And that's where I'm a little fuzzy because the only little tidbit of information I have on that is that somebody told you that labeling him that way would let him go to school with kids like him. That's the only hint that they're talking about a different program. And now, so I don't know if your son needs a different program. I don't know if that's what labeling him emotionally disturbed would buy you. Fueling my confusion even further is when you're saying that um, the outbursts have calmed because of the medication he is on. If the outbursts have calmed because of the medication he is on and the school is thinking of sending him to a different school, then my question would simply be, why is the school thinking of sending him to a different school, and I'm not even sure that that's true, when his outbursts have calmed? I don't. So now you can see why I'm a little confused here. Um, and I would not characterize medication, by the way, as just a dam holding back the water. Number one, it sounds like it's helping. But I don't think of it as a dam holding back the water if if he's on two different ADHD medications and they are helping him be more focused and be less distractible and be less impulsive and be less hyperactive, not knowing, of course, whether any of those are the things that he's being medicated for, but I assume if he's diagnosed with ADHD, then at least some of those are things he's being medicated for. That's not a dam holding back the water. That's medication making it more possible for your son to handle the demands that are being placed upon him adaptively. If, if helping him be more focused and less distractible is helping him more adaptively deal with the demands that are being placed upon him, that's not a dam holding back the water. That's medication working. But I understand where you're coming from on it. I just wouldn't characterize it as a demand, as a dam holding back the water if helping him be less impulsive and less hyperactive is helping him be in a better position to handle the demands that are being placed upon him. That's great. I don't quite understand what you mean by the fact that he's being treated like a freak of nature by his teacher. 
I am very sorry that he's crying and telling you how much he hates the school. I don't understand what you mean that pulling him would only stop the process of the IEP, you've been told. If you want to contact me, it is possible that I will know an educational consultant in your area who could provide you with guidance on some of the legal aspects of what you're describing here. I've tried to respond to the ones that I'm trying to make the most sense out of, but it actually sounds to me like you could use some guidance on navigating the legalities of the special education world. And there are legalities associated with dealing with the special education world. And in fact, what your message has mostly done is suggest to me that we need to have a special guest on our parents' program to help parents navigate the special ed world, the legalities of the special ed world. And I am going to arrange that uh, between now and when after we've done the parents' panel. So hopefully in two weeks we will have a program focused exclusively on the legalities of navigating the special ed world. So first of all, thank you for your email for that reason. And secondly, thank you for your email Anyways, here's another one. We have no callers. I should give you the number. I always forget. 347-994-2981. When I had the pre-recorded uh, intro to the program, it had the phone number in there. Now we are relying on my rapidly fading memory to remind people of what the call-in number is. Once again, 347-994-2981. Here's another. Dr. Green, I've been reading The Explosive Child and watching some of your videos. Uh, my grandson is six years old and has limited speech. It is very difficult for him to even understand Plan B, yet we try to empathize, define the problem, and do the invitation. However, he's too frustrated to understand and is unable to communicate his feelings verbally. Help. Delighted to help. But you may um, want to also access some of the prior programs uh, in the listening library uh, on the Lives in the Balance website. They might help because um, there are numerous programs uh, in the listening library on um, doing Plan B with kids who have language-based delays. And you know what? I I'm pretty sure I actually covered that on last week's parent program. It may have been the educator's program. So I'm going to give you the quick and dirty here, but not go into great detail because I covered it on one of the last two programs. So you want to check those out. And um, they're in the listening library for parents and educators. You want to go to the November 19th programs. One of them goes into great detail related to doing Plan B with kids who have linguistic delays. But the quick and dirty, yes, you can solve problems collaboratively with kids who have delays in language processing and communication skills. Yes, some kids do need us to help them at a very basic level to know what a problem is and to know what 
some of the problems we'd like to work with them are. In other words, what are our high priorities? But, of course, you have to do that with any kid who you're trying to do plan B with, not just those who that have language-based delays. The helping them understand what a problem is, that you might have to build in. You might have to build in language to help them know what a solution is and that when we have a problem, what we're trying to do is come up with a solution. Um, that will help your grandson understand what we're trying to do with Plan B. You might need to use pictures to help your grandson understand what unsolved problem you're working on. You might need to use pictures to help your grandson identify what his concerns are. Um, there, You can depict in pictures many things, like, I got surprised. Something didn't go the way I thought it was, was going to go. Um, things like that. And then you might need pictures to help your grandson identify potential solutions like doing it a different way, giving a little, asking for help, all of which can be depicted in pictures. I don't think he needs to communicate his feelings verbally to participate in Plan B. It would be good for him to do those three things. Um, recognize what unsolved problem we're working on. That can be done in pictures. Recognize uh, and identify what his concerns are about a particular unsolved problem. That can be done in pictures. And participate in the process. Collaborate on solutions to the unsolved problem that you're working on. Feelings. I'm not allergic to having kids talk about their feelings, but to tell you the truth, Having kids talk about their feelings is actually not a crucial part of having them participate in the process of solving problems that affect them. I hope that, plus what I talked about on the earlier radio programs, helps. Good, we're getting through these rather rapidly here. Uh, Dr. Green, our son is 18 and at the age of 13 became extremely violent and continues to be. He is heavily medicated, and most of his aggression is pointed at me, his father. He is low-functioning and autistic. Does your approach work with children like my son? At this point, he won't stay in the same room with me and make statements like, attack daddy, kill daddy, daddy dead. I would love to be able to interact with him again. Thank you. All right. So, um, first of all, if, and this is sort of what I always say when I'm hearing about situations that could be dangerous, and I don't have the perfect sense of how dangerous, um, but you are saying extremely violent. Um, if he's heavily medicated, I'm assuming that you are under the care of a mental health professional who's providing the medication and who you are able to contact if your son, um, if you need guidance 
on how to handle the violent episodes. I'm a little reluctant to give you input on that because I don't know your situation well at all on the basis of your question. Um, but it sounds like it is very important for you to know what your options are if your son's violence reaches a point where you feel that you're in danger, he's in danger, somebody else is in danger. And I'm hoping that whoever's doing the prescribing or anybody else that you might be working with um, is giving you guidance on that and that you can turn to them if you feel that the level of danger is beyond the point that things are safe enough. And there's always the hospital emergency room, if not. But I do think that in the type of situation you're describing, you definitely want mental health professionals involved who can give you guidance on a continuous basis. The words extremely violent uh, concern me greatly, and I want to make sure that you are getting the support you need and that you are knowledgeable about what to do if your son's dangerousness is beyond what's reasonable. Once again, the hospital emergency room is where you want to turn if you don't have people guiding you. Now, to your question. I don't know your son well enough to know if solving problems collaboratively with him is possible. The term autistic would not scare me away. The term low functioning would not scare me away. The term extremely violent would not scare me away. But unfortunately, so bottom line is solving problems collaboratively is done with kids who are extremely violent, is done with kids who are low functioning, and is done with kids who are autistic. But um, it really depends a great deal on what it would look like would depend a great deal on what you mean by low functioning and what you mean by autistic. If he's lacking language processing and communication skills, um, you might need to solve problems collaboratively in ways that are similar to what I described with our last uh, questions. Um, you can solve problems collaboratively without using words. Words, of course, is the adult preference. It's, it is how most people communicate. But just because words are not what a kid can communicate with doesn't mean that you can't communicate. All kids who are uh, delayed in the language processing and communication realm are communicating, just often not in ways that are easiest for adults but that doesn't mean you can't solve problems collaboratively, and it doesn't mean you can't communicate. Beyond that, I don't um, know enough about your son to tell you exactly what it would look like. But, of course, on all of these emails where um, I don't have quite as much information as would be preferred, um, always call into the program if you wish so that we can be even more explicit. How'd your Thanksgiving go? We're going to hold off on our holiday guidance program until a little bit 
closer to Christmas, even though I know that that's not the only holiday in the month of December and that other holidays actually come earlier than Christmas. We're going to hold off on our um, holiday program until um, after the parents' panel next week. How did it go? Is there anything that you did that um, made your holiday go better than you expected in terms of preparing your challenging child to handle the holidays well. Here's another email. Dr. Green, my daughter suffers from anxiety and has a history of acting out behaviors. These behaviors are not and were never displayed at home. She works hard and had two great years in private school. She is now in public school and had a few days when she was upset and cried because she didn't get the grades she wanted. She is having trouble in one subject and is shutting down completely. She recently had an incident where she was listening to music instead of doing work in class and was asked to put away the music, and she replied with, you can't tell me what to do, and walked out. The principal caught up with her and threatened her with school suspe- within school suspension, to which she replied with, this is effing stupid. The principal then suspended her for being defiant and insubordinate. We don't want her year to go downhill because she really was looking forward to being in high school and doing well. We feel this is a setback and would like for the school to be more understanding. Please help us put a plan in place. Delighted to help to the degree that I can um, through this mechanism, in other words, a radio program. Um, It sounds like there is a tremendous need for a meeting of the minds so that you can help the folks in school, if this hasn't happened already, so that you can help the folks at school understand who your daughter is. When you say that these behaviors are not and were never displayed at home, I'm going to take it since you're also describing your daughter as having had a long history of acting out behaviors. I'm going to assume, perhaps erroneously, but I'm betting I'm right about this, that those acting out behaviors had been occurring at school and that she's now in a new school, public or otherwise, in her case public, and that there is therefore a tremendous need, even though your daughter was looking forward to being in high school, for the folks at the high school to understand who she is and when she's likely to run into trouble and what's likely to happen when she does run into trouble. Because if they don't know that, then they are going to apply, and they might anyways, by the way, but they are almost guaranteed to apply traditional discipline strategies if they don't understand who she is and what's likely to trip her out up and what's likely to happen when she does get tripped up, um, naturally threatening her within school suspension and suspending her for being defiant and insubordinate won't address what's getting in her way. Sounds like we need a meeting of the minds so that the folks at school understand the hand they've been dealt 
So that's where putting a plan in place would begin. That's where it would begin. Now, you'd have to be the judge of whether in that first meeting people were ready to look at, and yes, I would agree with you, the incident was a setback, and we don't want it to go downhill. Um, Hopefully not an insurmountable setback, but time will tell. But if moving forward they still don't understand who she is and what's likely to get in her way, um, then I would expect that it would be a setback that lasts a lot longer than we'd like it to. The way to get a plan in place is to help them understand who she is and what's likely to trip her up. That's a meeting. At some point, perhaps not the first meeting, but maybe even the first meeting, that's a meeting with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as the discussion guide so that they can come to know her through the prism, come to view her through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And if she has a long history of acting out behaviors, I'm going to bet that she's got some lagging skills and that there are specific conditions in which those lagging skills are going to get in her way. Of course, generically, especially those are conditions in which the lagging skills are being demanded, but those are called unsolved problems. Unsolved problems are these specific expectations she's having trouble meeting in association with the skills she's lacking. In-school suspension isn't going to teach her those skills or solve those problems or help her meet those expectations. Suspending her for being defiant and insubordinate is not going to teach her the skills she's lacking or solve the problems that are setting in motion her challenging episodes. But having the school view her through different lenses be more proactive and collaborative, um, it's probably going to take a meeting to make that happen. If that meeting hasn't taken place yet, that's where I'd start. And it's after people are viewing her through the right lenses that, and after they've identified these specific conditions in which she's likely to run into trouble, that you can put a plan in place. Good luck with that. I hope that you can make that happen for your daughter, in which case this will only have been a setback and not the beginning of long-term things not going well. Still no calls today. Uh, that's okay, but 347-994-2981, that's the number. Here's another one. Uh, Hi, Dr. Green. Although I have read your articles for years, this week was the first time that I came across your book, The Explosive Child, and the amazing Lives in the Balance website. I'm very sorry about that. I This is me talking now, not the email. Um, I'm doing everything I can to help people be aware of the Lives in the Balance website. Um, 
because there is a growing boatload of resources on that website. So, of course, I'd want people to find it, so I'm glad you did. Now back to the email. We are the parents of a nine-year-old boy that, even though we've tried and tried reward and punishment systems for all of his life, continues to react impulsively with anger, aggression, and frustration anytime something does not go his way. Obviously, we are in need of implementing CPS and Plan B from here on out. Well, you stole my thunder there, but that's what I'd say. Back to the email. My question to you is this. When going through the lagging skills on the ALSIP, we would put a check mark on every skill with the exception of poor sense of time. Where do we begin? When we've let it go for this long, how do we put drops into this bottomless hole seeming bucket? All right. That's the question. Um, You've got to move on from the lagging skills. Most behaviorally challenging kids have a lot of lagging skills checked off. That's typical. So don't let that scare you away. And it hasn't scared you away. You're, of course, emailing, so you're clearly not scared. Um, and I wouldn't worry about that you've waited until he's nine to start trying to solve problems collaboratively. That's not very late, even though it may feel that way. But you need to move beyond lagging skills and identify the unsolved problems that are associated with those lagging skills. So uh, you've told us the one that you wouldn't have checked off. Here's one that you, therefore, presumably would have checked off. Uh, Difficulty making transitions, moving from one mindset or task to another. Let's say that that's the uh, lagging skill. That's one of the lagging skills you checked off. What you then want to do is move on to the specific expectations your son is having difficulty meeting that have to do with difficulty making transitions or shifting from one mindset or task for another. Is he having trouble turning off the TV to come in for dinner? That would be a specific unsolved problem. Is he having difficulty um, hmm, coming in from playing outside uh, to come in and do homework? That would be a specific unsolved problem. So you're going to want to come up with all of the expectations your son is having difficulty meeting in association with that lagging skill. And then you're going to want to repeat that process with each lagging skill you've checked off. Because here's why. When you're solving problems collaboratively, you're solving problems directly. So you really want to know what those unsolved problems are so you can work on them. You're teaching skills indirectly. Good to know what your son's lagging skills are because that helps you get the right lenses on. Good to know what his lagging skills are so you can educate other people about his lagging skills. But the vast majority of lagging skills that you've checked off aren't going to be taught directly they're going to be taught indirectly by solving through the process of solving problems collaboratively. That's right. You're not going to be teaching most of those skills directly anyways because, to tell you the truth, I'm not aware of an effective technology for teaching most of those lagging skills directly. 
Well, for language processing and communication skills, those could be taught directly sometimes. And for some social skills, entering a group, starting a conversation, those could be taught directly sometimes. But most of those skills that you've checked off are going to be taught indirectly by solving problems collaboratively. How does that work? Well, if your son is having difficulty turning off the TV and coming in for dinner, and if that's because he has trouble making transitions, and if you solve that problem with him collaboratively, you'll find out about why he's having so much difficulty making that transition. And that's in the empathy step, of course. And you'll reduce the challenging behaviors that are associated with that unsolved problem by solving it. And you'll have come up with a solution for dealing with that transition better and that solution may apply to other transitions your son is having difficulty making. It may not, but it may, in which case the solution to that first difficulty making a transition may well help out with other transitions your son is having difficulty making. Are you helping him make transitions better by solving one problem associated with difficulty making transitions? Yes. Is he there yet? Is he good at making transitions yet? No, not on the basis of having only solved one problem associated with that lagging skill, but you're on your way. When will he get better at making transitions in general? When we add even more solutions related to difficulty making transitions to his making transitions repertoire, how will those solutions get in there? By solving other problems related to having difficulty making transitions. For example, difficulty coming in from playing outside to do homework. You're building his problem-solving repertoire. And um, all you're really doing, as I always say, is giving development a jump start because that's how most of us learned how to make transitions better through experience. That's why most of us may have a broader repertoire for making transitions than your son does at this point in his development. We learned through experience. We're giving development a jump start with your son here, something I should add, all those reward and punishment programs that you've been using wouldn't be expected to help him with. A, a reward and punishment program isn't going to teach your son how to make transitions better, and it isn't going to solve the problem of him having difficulty turning off the TV and coming in for dinner. Reward and punishment programs don't do that. They weren't designed to do that. By the way, one other quick point. What I've just been talking about is how working on one unsolved problem related to having difficulty making transitions would help your son learn to make transitions better in general over time through experience 
once he's got more solutions in his difficulty making transitions repertoire. But when you're doing plan B, you're teaching a whole bunch of skills irrespective of what unsolved problem you're working on. In the empathy step, you're teaching a kid to recognize that he has a concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem, identify and clarify what that concern or perspective might be, express the concern or perspective in words, in ways that other people can hear without tons of emotion attached to it. You're you're decreasing the likelihood that the emotion will be attached to it once plan B becomes a habit, once plan B becomes part of your routine because your son is now recognizing that he will be heard. His concerns will be heard. I um oh, let me just continue this. Then I'll tell you of a recent experience. People become less emotional when they are confident that their concerns will be heard. Well, wait, 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 not just will they be heard, will be addressed. Uh, Not much reason to get upset anymore when you're confident that your concerns will be heard. That's the empathy step. And will be addressed. That's the invitation. The define the problem step helps your son be able to hear somebody else's concerns, take somebody else's concerns into account, and without getting upset about it, because now the concerns aren't being raised, the adult concerns aren't being raised with plan A, where the child's concerns are being blown off the table, but rather with plan B, where the child is now becoming increasingly confident that his concerns will be heard and will be addressed. Why get upset when you know your concerns are going to get heard and addressed? And by the way, that goes for adults too. That's what the define the problem step is for. Why get upset when you know your concerns are going to be heard and addressed? The invitation teaches lots of important skills, irrespective of what unsolved problem you're working on or what lagging skill is associated with that unsolved problem. The invitation is where child and adult learn to brainstorm solutions, consider the likely outcomes of those solutions, consider whether the solutions are realistic and mutually satisfactory. My goodness, everybody's learning a whole bunch of skills just by doing plain old plan B. I uh, witnessed an argument over the last three or four days, an argument taking place between two individuals, a loud one, an angry one. And um, as I was observing this argument, which took a good 10 to 12 minutes to peter out and left no one feeling good and left the issues that gave rise to the argument completely unresolved still. 
What was I thinking to myself? I was thinking, I wonder what that would have looked like if they were doing plan B. Because all it was, and this reminds me of American politics right now, too, and a lot of things that go on in the American legal system as well, something I know all too much about at this point. Um, What I remember thinking to myself was, while there are lots of concerns being screamed at this moment, this process that I'm observing right now holds out very little hope that those concerns will be addressed because all that's really happening is people are screaming their concerns, but nobody is demonstrating that they are hearing the concerns of the other party. Nobody is acknowledging that the other person actually has legitimate concerns. People don't need to scream if they're confident that their concerns will be heard and that their concerns will be addressed. Nothing to scream about. When you're not confident that your concerns are going to be heard and when you're not confident that your concerns are going to get addressed, you just scream louder. Uh, The argument I witnessed was just people screaming louder because they weren't confident that their concerns would be heard and they weren't confident that their concerns would be addressed. Thank you very much uh, for your email. And now we're going to try to squeeze in one more. Let's see if we can do this. Hang on here. Uh, It's not going to be that one. Uh, Not going to be that one either. You know what? I'm not sure that any... of these is going to be answered quickly. I'm just going to look at one more here. Sorry to keep you hanging on here. Um, You know what? None of these are quick ones. And so I think what we're going to do is just um, end the program for today a minute or two early, but that's okay. I just don't want to get into one of the questions that we have and then give it short shrift. Um, So how about this? I hope you had a great Thanksgiving if you're one of the American celebrants listening this week. We've got the parents panel next week, next Monday. Um, And then I'm going to try to arrange having somebody do an expert do a program for parents, an interview, where we'll be talking about uh, the law as it applies to special education. That will be a very good program, and we've got a bunch of other emails that I didn't get to today. So, um, well, we've got our future planned, don't we? Probably right up until the end of December. Thanks for listening in today, and um, hope you come in and listen again next week. Talk to you then. <laughs>